1: This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on.
0: Hey, is your freak on, Brian? It's on.
1: It's It's Sex
0: and Science Hour time.
1: Well, actually, my freak is a little limp. (laughs)
0: <laughs> is it screwed on tight
2: enough
1: there now all right now we're screwing yeah, yeah. and you said all
0: that right. not because you were referring to anything below the belt but because you no, were referring something to your actually... microphone that was dangling uh, yeah. in front of your face <laughs> when you say... couldn't get it to go to the right <laughs> angle to
1: say it's something that's like right about to go in my mouth i mean it's yeah, I'm, I'm painting quite you're, a picture you're making here. it
0: a little weird i have to say a little <laughs> weird all right <laughs> Let's, uh, move no, I'm on, just shall kidding, we? Brian. I'm not no. trying to shame you. <laughs> of course not. You know, not. I got added to a Facebook group recently. Can you talk about this? It's a, yeah, like, I don't. I won't say what it is, but it's a you know one of those secret Facebook groups. They're all the rage now. There's this content mm. collapse on Facebook. Nobody's sharing anything personal, except apparently in secret Facebook groups, which you don't know they exist because they're secret unless you get invited right. by somebody. It's like an initiation ceremony. So I got added to like a sex positive body positive facebook secret group oh my recently how did i get invited these people make us look like prudes i have to say (laughs) (laughs) they make us look positively amish well all right but it kind of goes to show right like that
1: that if you don't have anonymity or secrecy if you don't have privacy uh you never actually will be yourself like, you'll never let your, you know, like we we're talking about, get is your freak on? You never get your freak on if you don't have privacy. People don't seem to yeah. not understand that. Is that when you don't have privacy, nobody's really being themselves. You know?
0: Well, yeah, I agree. Because not everybody accepts your true self, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't blame people for wanting it. I think that's, again, uh, I, I understand. Then uh, again,
0: yeah, your mom shouldn't have to see, like, your dick pics and things like that, so. Yeah, that. yeah no, right. I understand that. But, that's boundaries. The, there's boundaries as well.
1: Right. But that's the other thing, too, is that like, why Why are Facebook groups so popular? It's because people can't handle reaching out to 5,000 millions of people and all this. Yeah. Thing. And I they mean,
0: don't have good lists, you know, where like Google Plus, where you can share with circles. They don't have good privacy features. Yeah, they don't want that. There's a lot of bleed over. Yeah. So yeah. The, anyway, problems with social media. Um. You know, we, we spend a lot of time on social media, but we also have our criticism. Of it too, right, oh, Brian? And we plenty. talk about them a lot. We were actually going to open up this show with an article about social media and um, some things that the article says are myths about social media and young people. Wanna do it? Like the kids oh well We're doing it. Why are you asking me? I brought it in for sure. Oh, I, I, I was hey, planning on it. Hey, <laughs> hey, I you know,
1: I just work here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm sorry, Brian. That no, was kind of okay. mean. I, of course I want to do it. Let's let's, right. let's get into the article. This is from Psychology Today. And it's written by somebody who I I respect, Peter Gray, Dr. Peter Gray.
1: Oh, fantastic. We saw him uh, give a talk we in did. Boston yeah. a couple of years ago.
0: A couple years ago, around the time this article was just written, cause brilliant, was a brilliant. A years old, yeah. Um, but yeah, he does work with young people. I guess he worked at a Sudbury school or something like mm-hmm. that, which is an alternative type of school where, um, you know, kids are treated like people. Imagine that. Ah, and they're not like forced to memorize things and given tests and like treated like dogs. They're actually like encouraged to learn based on their intrinsic motivation.
1: Oof, that's dangerous. <laughs> Going to end up with some kind of peaceful society, you do that.
0: Indeed. Right. So, anyway, this is from uh, Psychology Today by Peter Gray. Teenagers have always been attracted to public spaces where they can hang out with friends, find new friends, and talk endlessly with peers about matters that concern them away from parents and other authority figures. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. Mm. Uh, I'm liking this already. Such gatherings are crucial to human development. They're how teenagers expand their social horizons, share views on issues that matter to them, experiment with different versions of their personality, and develop the sense of independence from parents and other adults that they must in order to become adults themselves. I'm digging this so far. Yeah. Until rather recently, he says, the places where teens would find one another were physical geographical spaces. But today they're often located in cyberspace. Many adults are puzzled and some are appalled by the amount of time that teens spend online and by what they seem to do there. A terrific new book by Dana Boyd entitled It's Complicated, The Social Lives of Networked Teens, helps us make sense of it. So I guess this is sort of a book review or review of of her 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 stuff but oh my gosh so i just have to pause here for for a moment and say i remember so you and i grew up we were on this weird cusp generation right i'm 32 you're 35 we grew up for part of our lives young adulthood with no computers and no internet Really? Uh, I mean, not no computers, with computers, but no internet. No
2: internet, yeah. Functionally. Right.
0: Then, when we were teenagers, the internet basically exploded and became really popular. Yes. But yet, uh, a lot of people still didn't have cell phones. I mean, I remember people still carrying around like pagers when I was in middle school and early high school. Oh,
1: I, I had a pager for a long, oh, long you time. Oh, had a pager. Oh, yeah. I was quite the fan. <laughs> were
0: anyway. you a drug dealer?
1: no. No. <laughs>
0: It was just like, That's the stereotype, right? Yeah. <laughs> you must be a drug dealer if you had a pager. When you
1: traveled a lot, pagers were, and I still think pagers are actually. Well, I think a case could be made for pagers, but I, we don't need to get in, get
0: sidetracked on that. Well, maybe if you work in a hospital, I don't know. Nah,
1: if you travel, I think they're they're very handy things.
0: All right. Well, you can have fun with your pager. Right? Oh,
1: I, I don't. I don't have it anymore. But,
0: <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, okay. So I remember. Um, you know. When I was a teenager, I did spend some time on the internet and I would chat with friends and other people that I didn't know online. Yeah. And, you know, parents just didn't understand, right? It was, uh, they didn't get yeah, it. No. Like, why are you on the computer chatting with these? And they, but they also didn't get why kids wanted to hang out at the mall. You know what I'm saying? Like, they didn't understand, like, what do you what's so special? It's just hanging out like nothing really goes on there. And they just didn't get it that it was like a social sphere where, as Peter Gray said, and he gets it, you're developing your independence and your personality and your sense of uh, adulthood.
1: Yeah, that's really it. I mean, you wanted the freedom of being of yeah, of have, being able to to be independent. Yeah, you
0: know? being away from in a, in your own space, away from the adults, exactly, and with other people who are also your age. So I like how he really gets gets it there. Um, I felt like nobody really empathized with that except other kids, like no adults, and definitely not an older adult because Peter Gray is like. He's gray. Like he's got gray hair. He's older. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think um, it, it's amazing that he gets it and he relates. So I guess that's just empathy, basic empathy, well, it's
1: basic empathy. I mean, and he personally has studied a lot of, uh, uh, you know, more more tribal, uh, more hunter gatherer, modern hunter gatherer uh, style, you know, groups uh, and, and, and populations around the world. Um, and so I think he's hitting on you know, very universal or at least human, yeah. humanly universal truths. Uh, and that's why he can get it. Uh, and, and, you know, I think this speaking of social media in general, like, I, I think that what he's saying there actually hits on why, why is there always this new every year or two? There's this new social network that all the kids are on. It's because they keep running away from where everybody's following. Them. <laughs> it's like, why is Snapchat? Because right, the,
0: their parents get on a few, a few years later and then they're like, oh, all right, it's ruined. Time to find something
1: right. new. Right. <laughs> I mean, you ask, you know, relatively normal kids today. Like, none of them want a Facebook account. They want an Instagram account, or they want a Snapchat account. They don't want they don't want to be where everybody else is. They they just just leave us alone, you know. Let us go over here because kids have a natural, I think, desire to explore and and figure things out for themselves. And it's something that that should be appreciated, uh, and and, and nourished, you know, not um not something to be squa uh, you know squashed,
0: right? And scared of, yeah. yeah. So. Anyway, Peter Gray is reviewing a book by Dana Boyd, Um, where she did some studies uh, from 2005 to 2012. Boyd Boyd traveled back and forth across the United States meeting and talking with teenagers. Imagine that. She actually talked to the teenagers. (laughs) Boy, did they know? Come on. (laughs) And also with parents, teachers, librarians, and others who work with teens. She also spent, quote, countless hours studying teens through the traces they left online, their social network sites, blogs, and other social media. Hmm. And uh, she conducted formal interviews of about 166 teens about their social media habits. So, and then she wrote a book called It's Complicated that debunks some of these simplistic myths about teens and technology and here are 5 of the myths. All right, let's do it. Myth number 1, technology creates social isolation. A teenager at a computer com, a teenager at a computer or smartphone may look socially isolated, but more often than not, the teen is using that device to overcome social isolation, isolation that we adults have imposed. Boyd says she often heard parents complain that their teens preferred computers to quote real people. But the teens' perspective was quite. Oh, sorry. Boyd says she often heard parents complain that their teens preferred computers to real people. Yeah, But the teen's perspective was quite different. Teens throughout the country and across ethnic groups told her repeatedly that they would much rather get together with friends in person, but had little opportunity to do so. Yeah. They communicated with their friends through social media because that was often on- the only way they could reach them. And yeah, totally. Like when you don't have a car and you can't necessarily walk to your friend's house and you're not in school, oh, how absolutely. are you going to see your friends, right? Yeah, I Unless mean, want ride? Right. I mean, one of my first
1: relationships, and you know, this is in the mid '90s, late '90s, uh, was you know, I'm I'm I met the gal through IRC, but it was because it was a room for uh, Stargate SG One, uh, the the TV show at the time that that kind of just come out, and I mean, that was uh, that was amazing, you know, because there sure as hell was nobody in upstate New York that was into Stargate. Uh, <laughs> See, Brian,
0: you were individuating, you were uh, developing your personality. Yeah, well, I,
1: I mean, I. <laughs> It wasn't because I didn't want to meet people. It's because I wanted to meet people that I was on IRC. You
0: know? <laughs> so, yeah. So she's saying that this actually contributes to socializing rather than social isolation. Yeah. Now I could believe that for teenagers. However, I the one thing that gives me pause is that I do know some adults. I don't. Mm-hmm. I really don't know many teenagers. I don't really think I know any teenagers actually because I don't have kids, and I my friends' kids are mostly younger. Um, but I see some adults who all their friends are on the internet, and it seems like they are isolated in their real lives. Sure, you know, especially when they become sort of part of subcultures and communities. Like I'm thinking of a particular podcast that um, had a very, you know, had a subculture. Yeah. And a lot of people within it would talk to each other online, but not really have other relationships outside of that. But then all of their friends were online and they would be feeling pretty lonely in real life sometimes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And that that can create a whole. Well, I think there can be a really skewed reality when you do that, because like, let's say you ever want to like get together in real life with people of a subculture or something. If your constant interaction is online where you can have instantaneous all the time you're seeing what's going on, an instantaneous response or, you know, contact and response. Um, I think when you get into real life to where, you know, no, people go to work. Um, people don't tell you everything. People aren't going to respond to you instantly. And in all of well, this.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. Like people can people often sort of filter what they put online. Mm-hmm. I I mean, I certainly do. Right. but. People filter it in different ways, but you can it's easy to project an image of yourself online or a side of yourself or certain facets and hide other facets of yourself. So I don't know if when you meet someone online, you can get a level of connection with them in person that you couldn't necessarily get online because they won't be able to hide like all of their (laughs) parts from you. necessarily. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess it could go both ways. There could be positives out of it. But I mean, Mm -hmm. there's the chance that in real life, hey, these people are not you know there, there's some very they're serious... not who they appear to be online. Right. yeah
0: that's what i was trying to say yes. it, was, it didn't come out so well but
1: yeah no that's all right
0: yeah so um yeah that's an interesting point i mean we have to move on because we're almost out of time okay for a second. all right but number two myth number two teens are addicted to technology and social media um in a previous essay on this blog On video game addiction, in quotes, I described our tendency to apply the term addiction to almost any kind of activity that people enjoy and engage in frequently. (laughs) And yeah, Yeah, that's totally true. Like sex addiction. There's a lot of questions about whether that actually exists from experts. Yeah. Marty Klein's work, if you're interested in that, he just rips it to shreds. Yeah, I don't think people, I don't think, I mean, you can just like, just the the headline, I
1: think kind of says, are they addicted to, to technology? No, I think they are addicted to having a level of control of their lives that most parents don't allow for them to have. Um, And what I mean, but like, why are they addicted to video games? Because they have control of that world. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like, like why is Minecraft so popular? Because they can build their world, you know, as to where if they, you know, a very bright and most children are very bright, you know, they look out in the world and they realize there's absolutely no control to be had and everything's fucked up beyond recognition. Uh, (laughs) And and so I, I I don't think they're addicted to technology. They're addicted to, uh, you know, uh, again, it comes down to that sense of independence.
0: Enjoying the independence. They're not addicted to anything. They're just craving a sense of greater independence than they can get in their lives.
1: Absolutely. Um, Technology provides a lot of that in, in interesting ways.
0: So, yeah, he says. A lot of people apply the term addiction to any kind of activity that people enjoy and engage in frequently. Used more conservatively and usefully, the term refers to an activity that A is compulsive in the sense that the person can't stop doing it, even with great effort, and B is clearly more harmful than helpful to the person engaged in that behavior. So you can't stop doing it and it hurts you, kind of like smoking or something right, like that, or right. drugs. Boyd found that some teens do indeed spend more time on social media than they say they would like. They acknowledge being drawn into it and enjoying it so much that they lose track of time and they said and then said that it does cause some harm by subtracting from the time they could spend on other activities, including those that adults are encouraging them to do like homework. Oh god. But it is not clear that the harm outweighs the gains. And even if it does, Boyd suggests, the language of addiction is not helpful here. It sensationalizes the problem. It implies pathology rather than a time management issue of the sort that all of us have to varying degrees. Sure. I love that. I think that's really spot on. Yeah. Um, myth number three. Teens these days have no appreciation of privacy. Now, we have actually been guilty of saying this, of accusing not just not just teens, but um, anyone who grew up with social media... Mm-hmm. I do think maybe has different ideas and conceptions about privacy than perhaps we do who didn't grow up with social media so early.
1: I think I think that's yeah, I've I think I may have said the similar in the past, um, but I am firmly in the camp that that's not true just because I like the popularity of Snapchat, like I mentioned earlier. I think kids do like the fact that there are things that aren't permanent, I think they do mm. want privacy. Uh, they do want their own kind of walled gardens, I guess hmm. you could say, uh, you know, whatever phrase you want to put that in.
0: Yeah, um, I guess that's true. And also, you could certainly say that adults have no concept of privacy either. Yeah. I <laughs> or mean, no appreciation for it. Right. I, <laughs> if you're a person who really values privacy, there are adults your age or older than you who don't value it as much as you do.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, kids and adults, I think the problem isn't that they don't value privacy. They don't understand The nature of what they use today. They don't understand that. No, nothing is free. Facebook, you can use that. Google, you can use that. But it's all because it is taking away your privacy. That's what they monetize is your your data. But they don't understand that. That doesn't mean they don't want privacy. They just don't know.
0: Right. All right. So from the article, adults are often appalled by the tendency of teens to put information on the Internet that, quote, should be private. In contrast, teens regularly told Boyd that they use social media in order to achieve privacy. So just like you said, Brian, the difference seems to be one of concern about privacy from whom? Parents worry about the prying eyes of strangers, whereas teens are more concerned about the prying eyes and ears of adults who know them well. (laughs) That's totally true. In Boyd's words, quote, when teens, and for that matter, most adults, seek privacy, they do so in relation to those who hold power over them. Unlike privacy advocates and more politically conscious adults, teens aren't typically concerned with governments and corporations. Instead, they're trying to avoid surveillance from parents, teachers and other immediate authority figures in their lives. They want the right to be ignored by the people they see as being, quote, in their business. They wish to avoid paternalistic adults who use safety and protection as an excuse to monitor their everyday sociality. Sure. Uh, Hit we, the nail on the head.
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we don't live in a surveillance state; we live in a surveillance society. Uh, I mean, that's that's the facts. Um, and I and I, I just want to say quick: I call bullshit on any parent that says their child doesn't care about privacy and share stuff that shouldn't be shared. Um, if the parent knows exactly how the world does work, as in Facebook does hand that data over, you know, pictures and all this stuff to the NSA. All these parents that share pictures of their kids, screw them. Uh, I mean,
0: yeah, should that be shared? Right? No, it,
1: yeah, right. It should not be shared. Uh, you're creating a database that your kid is, did not choose to be a part of. Um, and so I, I say parents are the ones that don't give a shit about privacy. Uh, the, the kids clearly do.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I think what the the overarching point with all of these myths is that they're being perpetuated by parents who are. Seeing their kids as someone they they they're not relating to their kids on an individual level. They're Absolutely. seeing them as people that they're lording over yeah. and that they have to control and protect instead of as another human being who is younger than you and maybe has different needs, but is still a human being. Right. Right on. Yeah. <laughs> um, OK. Anyway, uh, one more quote um, in from the book. Boyd writes in 2012. I asked teens who were early adopters of Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram why they prefer these services to Facebook, and I heard a near-uniform response. Brian, what? Because my parents don't know about it. Oh yeah, right. That's yeah, what they yeah, said. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know if you if you would fill in the blank, but that's exactly what you said.
1: Yeah, that that was my point. Um, and it's interesting, you know, parents. You should see how insidious it is that, like, advertising companies and, like, all these different organizations want to run to, like, Snapchat and all that. That should be seen as a problem because, obviously, they're not targeting you. They're targeting your kids. They're targeting them. Um, And, I don't know, whatever. Parents don't care.
0: (laughs) Parents just don't understand. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Myth number four. Social media puts teens at great risk from sexual predators. In a nationwide survey, Boyd and her colleagues found that 93% of parents were concerned that their child might meet a stranger online who would hurt them while only 1% of them indicated that any of their children had ever had such an experience. By far, the biggest fear expressed by parents was of, quote, sexual predators, quote, child molesters, pedophiles, and sex offenders, who might contact their child through their online participation. This mirrors the fears revealed in other national and international surveys that underlie many parents' decisions that underlie many parents, it's late at night, decisions to restrict their children from venturing away from home outdoors without adult protection. Surprisingly, the respondents to Boyd's survey expressed as much fear for their sons as for their daughters. I, as others, for example, Lenore Skenazy in her book Free Range Kids, have reported elsewhere the stranger danger fears that afflict so many parents are greatly overblown. In fact, harm to any kind of children or teens from adult strangers is very rare. And there's little or no evidence that technology or social media has increased such danger. Um, And this is just me breaking in here. But, yeah, as I understand it... um. Kids are much more likely, uh, you know, teenagers, kids, children are much more likely to be harmed by sexual predators that they know that are either part yeah. of their family, a clergy member or somebody that their parents know some. It's not like a stranger usually that targets children. It is some adult that they already know.
2: Right. So absolutely.
0: Their parents need to be looking at the people in their social circle, really, as they want to be scared of something. Um. Anyway, as Boyd puts it, Internet-initiated sexual assaults are rare, and the number, overall number of sex crimes against minors has been steadily declining since 1992, which suggests that the Internet has not created a new plague. Interesting, huh? Yeah. I, You know, even if it were
1: true, um, parents learn some digital hygiene yourself and then just pass it on to the kids. Um, you know, teach them about anonymity. I mean, if this is so, then it just proves the point of the fact that you need to, you know, have technologies that anonymize where you live, where you're coming from, all of these different things. And, you know, there's so many things to learn from this. But instead, you know, the narrative in society, like I said, we have a surveillance society, is, uh, you know, tell us everything. You know, what do you have to hide yeah. and all of that shit? I mean, there, there's this disgusting narrative that could actually empower Uh, predators not just sexual but predators in general uh, that that that's a real problem that they don't consider
0: of course yeah he says teens and children should be cautioned about such possibilities and we should discuss common sense ways of preventing it with them but the danger is so small that it is irrational to ban our children from the internet because of it agreed yeah and then finally myth number five bullying through social media is a huge national problem Uh, Bullying, real bullying, Peter Gray says, is, of course, a serious problem wherever it occurs. And indeed, there are some well-documented cases of cyberbullying, online bullying, that have ended in tragedy. But how often do such cases occur? Is bullying common enough and serious enough that we should ban teens from social media? As is the case for addiction, part of the problem with the term bullying lies in how people define or identify it. Boyd notes that she met parents who saw every act of teasing as bullying, even when their children, including those who were targets, did not. I have met such parents, too, and some are unshakable in their convictions. Overextension also occurs when the term bullying is applied to serious two-way disputes between people of equal power. Boyd found that teens themselves generally had a more conservative and more meaningful way of identifying bullying. Bullying exists when there's an imbalance of power between two individuals or groups, and the more powerful one repeatedly attacks the less powerful one in ways that hurt the latter. By this definition, according to Boyd and the teens she interviewed, cyberbullying is much less common than parents believe it is. Yeah, and in fact, I would say that a lot of these attitudes from adults are quite bullying. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Kids get bullied by their teachers. If we're talking about imbalances of power, who has the power? The parents, the teachers, not the teens. Yeah,
1: where are the real bullies? society
0: yeah i think this is really interesting so i love this uh article i thought it was really cool i agree um at the beginning before we read it i was kind of like oh yeah these myths are probably going to be not really myths and we're going to think they're all true but i came away now with a better understanding and thinking i agree that these are largely myths definitely This is Sex and Science Hour. You know, it's summertime. A lot of people are trying to uh, slim down. They're trying to get their beach bodies ready. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, I thought we would read an interesting article that I've been actually saving for a while. That's about how your mind uses cognitive biases that are common in, in all areas of life, specifically in relation to sabotaging your efforts to lose body fat. Oh boy <laughs> how do in other words, how do people rationalize and uh, do mental gymnastics to uh, convince themselves that it's that it's fine to eat more than they know they should in order to get their weight loss or fitness goals met?
1: Yeah, I mean, it usually starts with uh, "Oh, I'll take care of it tomorrow." I mean, <laughs> like that—that
0: <laughs> that line has
1: done more to uh, to to up or hold back people in society. <laughs> uh,
0: well, yeah, there's there's putting it off until tomorrow. There's like I always think like when you you know you've been to Mexico with me, Brian. Yeah, and I've been to Mexico a bunch of times. Like you know, people, you ask someone to do something like mañana, mañana, I'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> like just leave me alone. After right After the now. siesta, come on. Right? <laughs> And, um, you know, we're all kind of guilty of that sometimes. For me, one of my biggest blocks is like the, the um, well, it's all fucked fallacy. Like, I don't know what the exact name of it is, but, you know, I'll have a slip up. I'll be doing really good, like sticking to a way of eating that I know is going to make me feel good. And then I'll deviate from it and I'll say, well, I just I blew it. You know, I might as well just eat shitty for the rest of yeah, the day or the yeah. rest of the week or whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and no, I mean, you cannot, you can have a small slip up and not let it derail you completely, right? Right. Like, you cannot dig yourself any further into the hole. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm learning on this, but you know, this is, this is really interesting because I'm interested in how we can overcome cognitive biases or brain bugs, like the things in our brain that aren't quite logical, but you know, evolved over centuries to kind of protect us from challenges that we had in our environment that maybe aren't so relevant today, right? Like, um, well, the, can... Like the negativity bias, right? Like what? Like the person who was always worried and paranoid that there was a saber-toothed tiger chasing them mm-hmm. was more likely to survive than the person who wasn't worried about it because the one time there actually was a saber-toothed <laughs> tiger chasing them, they were ready for it. The
1: paranoid <laughs> survived. Right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then we all end up with this bias where we
1: catastrophize things, right? <laughs> sure. I mean, that and like you think about, you know, the that always that last 10 pounds right on your body. Like, I mean, that's you know via evolution that's meant to be there cuz that's just in case you don't get the day's meal uh you know you can survive i mean like there's there's a reason that that's there well, or um, you
0: don't get the week's meal right or yeah or you
1: don't get the week's meal i mean there's a lot of these things a lot of these pressures i guess you could say mental pressures that are there Honestly, they evolved for good reason. But for good in our, reason. In yeah, our but modern our society, haven't
0: had a chance to catch up to a modern society.
2: <laughs> right, right. They and may work against you.
0: Yeah, and then there's the physical things and the hormonal things, like you mentioned, where your body just wants to do everything it can to conserve calories and and hang on to body fat. Yeah, it wants in case that 10 it reserves times. in case it needs it, which is very smart, you know. Right. Um, but. Uh, then there's also the brain, the psychological things. And that's what we're going to be talking about here is the psychological things. So the five cognitive biases that are sabotaging your fat loss goals. And this is by, uh, I guess, Mike Howard, but he's writing on Tom Venuto's website. and Tom Venuto is like a fitness coach who wrote like, uh, he writes the burn the fat blog. So anyway, um. The first step towards making good decisions about our health is to know our number one enemy. In this case, the enemy is ruthless, cunning, and persistent. It is the 120-year-old Kung Fu Shaolin monk who discovered the Fountain of Youth. I'm speaking, of course, of our own brains. One of the primary reasons why humans struggle in many aspects of life is that our brains were designed in an era when the best way to save us was to consume. The good news is that our biology and brain wiring is flexible, responsive to experience, and therefore trainable to work in our favor. Uh, it's, it's hard, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> it can be done. We have biological disadvantages to be sure, but they're not life sentences. I like that message. It's kind of empowering, right? You're not doomed because your brain is wired a certain way and there's nothing you can do to fix it. You can train your brain to sure. be more rational about these things. Okay, so he says, here are some of the most prominent cognitive errors that prevent us from our fat loss goals and what to do about it. One, current moment bias. This is also called the restraint bias or hyperbolic discounting. Among other de- deficits, we Homo sapiens kind of suck at both predicting a future scenario and how we will respond to said scenario. We're a society of instant gratification, prone to the wo- <laughs> prone to the roller coaster swings of hedonistic adaptation. Not surprisingly, most of us would rather experience pleasure in the current moment while leaving the pain for later, even if the long-term reward is greater. So he's basically saying people want it it now. They want instant gratification. They have low time preference. Sure. This is a bias that is of particular concern when it comes to achieving fat loss and greater health. A 1998 study confirmed the old adage, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, when 74% of participants chose fruit over junk food when asked what they would... Would choose a week from that point when they became hungry. However, when the day arrived, seventy percent chose chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> so, like a week a week ago, they asked people, "Okay, next Monday, what would you like for a snack? Fruit or chocolate?" And everyone's, "Oh yeah, fruit. Uh, give me give me fruit. That's fine." Mm-hmm. And then when next when it's actually next Monday, they're like, "Um, yeah, actually, I think I want the chocolate." <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that okay. So
1: I I don't know that it. I, I, I always feel like this instant gratification thing is really kind of a false paradigm Uh because I feel like that people, it's not that they want chocolate. Okay. I mean, I, I guess you could say it's instant gratification, but what they want is they it's not, it's not that they, it's not that they want the gratification instantly. It's that they want a guarantee. I think that's the difference. That's why people like, uh, you know, wh- why they don't have make always the healthiest choices, because they can't see for themselves. you know They can't picture what they're going to look like. They have no idea what they're going to look like. OK. Uh, and so it becomes very difficult to like, you know, to, to want to uh, sacrifice. I don't like using that word. Yeah.
0: So the ben- the benefits aren't always clear, right? Like, right. You're thinking like, OK, well, if I choose not to eat this dessert today, how much is it really going to change my belly? right yeah i mean you don't you don't know it's like a dubious payoff yeah yeah right you don't have a guarantee now i mean for an analogy
1: like why do people work shit jobs because they know every friday it's a gigantic corporation or something and they're going to get a paycheck they know it's a, like their mind has been trained long enough that there's a guarantee that they're going to get some kind of money out of it Okay. Now, if they, you know, if they quote unquote suffered a bit or dealt with less and became an entrepreneur or something like that, there's the chance of a gigantic payoff, but there's no guarantee of it. It's not that they want instant gratification of money. Now, money, now, money, now. I think it's that they want the guarantee in life, just like chocolate guarantees you a good feeling eating healthy for a month you know it's very tough to rely upon the guarantees of that even no matter how many times you read a book and somebody tells you you're going to have a much better body at the end of you know at the end of that month or something like that, hmm. that that's that's my thoughts on it. i just i don't agree with like the 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 instant gratification like oh that's what everybody's after i think it's more people are after guarantees
0: well i will say that like when you plan when i plan my meals ahead of time mm-hmm. i make better decisions sure because decision fatigue also comes into that right but like, you So like, for example, if I say at the beginning of the day when I'm full of energy and I have not been deciding things all day and I'm not tired, I say, "Okay, I'm going to have this healthy thing for dinner. And when I make that decision earlier... I I can I can do it. It's no problem. It's like okay, I already decided that. But when I wait and I don't know what I'm gonna have for dinner, five o'clock, six o'clock rolls around. We do intermittent fasting, so dinner is our only meal right, <laughs> we eat right. once a day. And I'm like, oh man, I'm so hungry. Let's go out for Chinese food. You know, like that's the easiest thing, right? And I know yeah. it's gonna be good. <laughs> so, <laughs>
1: right. But that's the thing: is planning is a step towards a guarantee. I mean, like that, and that's why that's why I think what you're saying makes tons of sense.
0: I think, yeah, you got a a slightly different perspective on it than what this article is saying, but yours makes sense too. I can see that. Sorry, yeah, go go ahead. So, what to do about it? They say the first defense toward combating the current moment bias is to pause and reflect. Think about the choice you're making. Why are you making it? And think about the long-term benefits of abstaining from an unhealthy move. The first step of self-discipline is self-awareness. When you start to dig below the surface of the conscious mind, previously subconscious habits that once pulled you off track will repair themselves. Learn about why you fail. What types of situations and emotions trigger poor choices? Um, And I think that's, he's saying it in a way that's not exactly how I would say it, but I can see what he's saying, Mm -hmm. which is that, If you actually check in with yourself, like if you have an impulse to eat um, like a piece of cake or something, if you check in with if you take a minute and say, "Okay, I'm not going to eat it right now. I'm just going to I'm going to say I'm going to I'm going to give myself like five minutes and say, if I still want to eat it at the end of five minutes after checking in with myself, I will. I can. But right now I'm just going to try to experience what's going on. Am I feeling sad, stressed out? Am I feeling hungry? You know, um, mm-hmm. am I con- confused about what to eat it, like... And if you just take a minute to check in with yourself and experience any feelings that you might be feeling, that can really help. And then sometimes you don't even want the piece of cake. Sometimes you still do. And maybe it's fine to eat it. But sometimes you don't. And you discover that what you actually want is something else. It's actually not that I'm hungry. I'm actually just really tired. So maybe I should just go to bed instead. (laughs) Right. That often happens to me. One o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. I'm sitting on the couch and I'm like oh, I just got finished with a show or some like long piece of work. And I'm so hungry, but I'm also so tired. I think I'll have some food. And then I'm like, wait a minute, you know, I'm really not that hungry. Like probably the more higher priority need is I'm actually tired. And if I stay up to eat, I'm going to be getting less sleep yeah so i might as well just go to sleep and if i'm still hungry in the morning then i can maybe have a snack or something but why don't i just wait in the morning it's going to still the food's going to still be there and if i'm still hungry i can have it and then usually that that does it that gets rid of it
1: yeah i think stopping and thinking that's great advice
0: all right number two negativity bias The negativity bias is the tendency to put more emphasis on negative experiences rather than positive ones. You may have noticed this tendency in yourself. uh, The glass half-emptier is the negative Nancys of the world who perpetually see more threats than opportunities and more bad than good in the world. Negativity bias can permeate in different ways and can pull you off track when it comes to health-promoting habits. Whether it's remembering a past injury from exercise or how miserable you were on your last diet, the brain bring, brings back those recollections, even if you have had many positive experiences when trying to improve health. In the case of fat loss, many will remember the intervention of choice, quote, didn't work. Um, and this is this is totally true mm. for me. Like oftentimes when I'm thinking about like starting a diet or something like that, I'm like, oh, my God. Last time I I don't even want to start this because last time I tried this, I remember feeling really hungry and it was painful. Yeah. And I don't want to experience that again. And I know I'm going to have to do it for a long time and I'm going to have to be in pain for a long time and it's not going to feel good. So I, I don't even feel like I really want to start it, you know. Right. And I guess that would be an example of the negativity bias. Right. This is going to be painful when actually when you're going through it. Yeah. Maybe you do experience some pain, but you're ignoring all the great things like how great you feel when you look in the mirror and you see that your body is looking nice. Yeah. You know, or how good it feels to put on clothes and have them fit again or how good it feels to feel comfortable in your body or to get rid of aches and pains when you're becoming more fit. You know, that kind of thing. Right. And to, or, or just how good it feels to. Treat yourself nicely and do the things you know are going to make your body run more optimally and feel more healthy. So anyway, yeah, I like that. Um, What to do? They suggest recalling your successes and thinking of the positive things, which is what we just uh, suggested. Yeah, absolutely. So um, number three is the optimism bias. (laughs) The other side of the self-fulfilling prophecy coin is the optimism bias. While optimism is generally a helpful state of mind, there is a tipping point when it comes to positive thinking. The optimism bias, also known as unrealistic or comparative optimism, ruses its victim into unrealistic expectations and Pollyanna-esque swagger. In essence, we are prone to having too much unguarded optimism optimism and not enough realism being overly optimistic can derail your fat loss goals for two reasons one it keeps us from changing in the first place if we believe quote everything will be fine when it comes to our health it locks us into place yeah we you know we have no reason oh yeah i'll never have a heart attack you know i'll never get diabetes oh no i don't have to do anything two it prevents us from having a relapse plan one of the most Formidable obstacles to long term success is failing to have a contingency plan for when you go off the rails. And that will happen, right? (laughs) But we don't expect it to happen. Yeah, that's a good one. I have another thing to add, which is that, um, Brian, do you ever, do you ever like, um, start thinking about and planning out a big project and think, oh, yeah, 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 I can finish this 10 hour audiobook in a week? Oh, all oh, the yeah, time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can finish my PhD thesis in four years. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I can lose 10 pounds in a month.
1: Yep, all you know? the time. <laughs> I have so many projects still going because I thought I could have them done in a week and it just never...
0: Absolutely, yeah. me too. I, I never seem to learn that lesson. I'm always so much more optimistic about how much I can get done in mm-hmm. a week or a month than I actually am able to get done. And it's, it's hard and painful, I don't don't really know how to solve this, but I haven't really learned that lesson yet. So, um, yeah, what to do. Maybe he'll have some advice for me. Optimism is good, but be cautiously optimistic. Understand, Understand that real life gets in the way of our perfect plans. Set goals and standards and make healthy decisions, but do so within the frame of reality. Understand that the journey will not be smooth, linear or easy. Consider adjusting your self-talk. While saying I can't do this is negative, I can do this is surface level and lacks substance. Some psychologists suggest implementing what's called interrogative self-talk. interrogative mm-hmm. self Instead of I can't or I can, ask the question, can I? <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. By framing it as a question, you're setting off a thought process that strategizes how are you going to accomplish something rather than just stating an abstract uh, can or can't. Interesting. Well, fair enough. Yep. Um, and number four, the planning fallacy. The planning fallacy is a tendency for people to underestimate how long they'll need to complete a task. Oh, this is what we just talked about. Mm-hmm. So I guess we can. Um, yeah. And they're they're saying, oh, yeah, um, the Internet's full of diet books that say, oh, you can lose 25 pounds in a month. You can lose 10 pounds in two weeks. It's no wonder our expectations are off when it comes to weight loss goals. Um
1: Yeah, I think it's like planning works when you do it kind of like what you're describing, sort of day by day, uh, uh, you know, I mean, you don't want it to be down to the last minute because then you can make poor choices. But, I, you know, I think starting off your day with a bit of a plan is is a very wonderful thing. um, And that's what you were describing that you
2: do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know what else throws me off when I sit, when I have like a deadline, when mm-hmm. I a deadline that's set by somebody else. Like for example, when I say, "Okay, I want to lose ten or twenty pounds by this event, which is on a certain date, like somebody's right. wedding or like a, a pork fest or something," um, and and then it's like this externally imposed deadline, and I am never able to make those deadlines. Yeah. So I think I have to set the deadline or there has to be no deadline and I just do it whenever as much as I can, giving it my best effort, you know, and I don't set a deadline because it's too much pressure.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. And then number five, unit bias. Now, this is really interesting. Now, it's not what you think where everybody thinks their unit's bigger, they're biased, (laughs) but they think their own unit is bigger than it really is. No, just kidding. (laughs) Real quick, I I will say... There is
1: there is some kind of bias like like that. The first when you first start going to the gym or something that you actually think you're getting these tremendous gains when you're not. Uh, And I think that can throw people off,
2: too.
0: Well, you know, right after you lift weights, your muscles, the blood vessels actually expand and more, more blood is flowing to your muscles. Right. So they they can actually look bigger, but you're not really gaining muscle mass. It's just that they're kind of swollen at that moment. So they look pumped up.
1: Yeah, yeah. So there's there's some science and I think there's a bit of psychology behind it too. But anyway, yeah, not not that your units bigger.
0: <laughs> yeah. So what is the unit bias? Now, this is one of the most interesting things to me. The unit bias suggests that we look at units or portions and perceive them as appropriate or optimal regardless of reality. Brian Wansink, author of Mindless Eating, demonstrated that through a series of studies that when we are served larger portions, we actually eat more. There was this famous study where um, people got a bottomless bowl of soup. Now, they didn't know it, but they were given a cup of soup that kept surreptitiously refilling itself from the bottom. Right. And they actually ate twice as much soup (laughs) without realizing it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And the other thing also, when you eat food out of a bag when you can't see like how much of it you're eating Mm -hmm. especially when you eat it from a big bag you actually tend to eat way more I could believe it liquid calories fare no better Um, people think that there's more liquid like we're terrible at perceiving volume so people think there's more liquid in a tall thin glass than a small wide one even though it has the same volume so, the only way to get over this pretty much is to measure. <laughs> yeah,
1: measure and just be mindful.
0: Yeah, that's that's objective. Yeah. All right, good luck with all your summer weight loss goals. There's more coming up here on Sex and Science Hour. This is Sex and Science Hour. Woo! I've got something really great for this segment, Brian. Really? This is our sex segment, and, you know... We're actually recording this show a little bit early, so um, we didn't have a full week in between shows this time, so I didn't have like as much show prep, but this is something I had been saving for a little while, and I think it's pretty good. just had been waiting for the right time to kind of pull this out. So there's two articles here. First one is, and both of these articles are kind of around a theme, which is, how can you hack the process of flirting and making yourself attractive to other people?
1: Oh, I can think of a million ways, but...
0: Well, yeah, yeah, some people, it comes naturally to them, or they've developed a process for flirting or whatever over time. Sure. But some people are like, I just don't get this. Like, how do I do this? Well, yeah. science can tell you. Uh, there are things that are scientifically shown to make you uh, more attractive to other people. And there are scientifically shown ways to flirt. And we're going to talk about some. So hmm. first of all, here from... This is from Time Magazine. and Wait, it's not from Neil Strauss? <laughs> no.
2: Oh, okay.
0: No, we are not relying on the opinions of the pickup artists. This is scientific.
2: I see. <laughs> so,
0: um, Time magazine uh, usually does not publish things I agree with. But in this instance, um, this is probably not quite as bad. Although I haven't read this article in a while. So we'll see. We'll be the judge. All right. By Eric Barker. Uh, Science of sexy. Five things that can make you irresistible. Number one, Humor. Humor is sexy. I completely agree with that. I have dated some really ugly guys who were funny. Yeah. <laughs> and I was attracted to their sense of humor.
1: <laughs> yeah. All right. But this one, you got to be careful with this one. Like, honestly, if if funny, I, I, you hear this all the time. I can't believe nobody knows this one, for starters. Because every like everybody says, oh, I want somebody that's funny and all this stuff, right? And I get that. Yeah, humor is is a, is a very good thing, mm-hmm. um, but humor also is incredibly subjective. As to what somebody finds funny,
2: it
0: is. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe if you if you like someone's sense of humor, it's a sign of other types of compatibility. Like, for example, Brian, I love your sense of humor. I appreciate that. You and I have a very similar sense of humor. (laughs) Like, we both make a lot of puns and like word plays, and we both think those are really funny. And uh, we always make we are always making each other laugh. But it's not. It's never in a way that. The humor that we share is is just like a way of connection. It's never self-deprecating and it's never like a way to avoid issues. And right. sometimes humor can be that sometimes humor is people making fun of themselves. And that I don't find attractive. Really? Yeah.
1: Well, and and that's like I think most stand up comedians, mo- not all, but a lot of them are hiding tons and tons of pain behind oh, that humor. absolutely most comedians
0: uh, are are tortured people yeah very unhappy
1: yeah so I like i i get it humor is important and all that but like i don't think everybody or i don't think anyone should aspire to be um
0: a stand-up comic a to stand-up get women. comic
1: to get women <laughs> yeah. or men
0: you know how whatever way the way it goes yeah so maybe we could say not just all humor but like a certain type of humor Perhaps. Yeah. Well,
1: I see. I think humor really comes down to empathy. Like, do you actually understand what the other people, you know, what? Well, uh, uh, I'm not going to do a great job of explaining that, but, but I don't. I don't think that exactly humor is exactly what's being looked for.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's. I think you're hitting on something too. Yeah. It's. I think it's the connection when you share a sense of humor with somebody. Right. When you get each other's jokes, basically. Yeah,
1: or when I mean, when you show that you are experiencing the world in the same way as the person next to you, and I mean, often that can come out in a very funny or or uh, a levity, you know. A, a yeah, way yeah. With levity. yeah.
0: So anyway, from the article, humor is attractive to men and women, but not in the same way. They say the research shows that women like men who make them laugh, and men like women who laugh at their jokes. This is the age-old thing. Like, there's supposedly there's some se- sexism thing, which. Honestly, I haven't really gotten, but maybe it is true. Basically, that women can't be funny and it's a sexist thing. It's like a bias against women. Like, men are always considered funny and everybody's supposed to laugh at their jokes. And uh, women, if they try to be funny, it's like considered masculine or something. And that's why there are no female comics.
1: Nah, I, I, I disagree with that. But yeah, I, I understand I'm, what they're saying. But I'm not
0: I... sure. Um, Brian, do you like it when women laugh at your jokes? Sure. Why wouldn't I? (laughs) Do you like funny women? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think I'm pretty funny.
1: Oh, you are. You're. You, I mean, you are. And when I say you're a barrel of laughs, I mean that. Like, yeah, you're like you. You absolutely are hilarious.
0: But you don't. You also. You don't need me to laugh at your jokes for your fragile ego. You know what I'm saying? No, like, not at all. I mean, actually, a lot of the jokes I say, I
1: I've learned over my life. No one's going to get them, but I think they're funny as shit.
0: <laughs> well, isn't that the truth? Because you're constantly making inside jokes and things that nobody's I, I, so many to inside understand.
1: jokes of myself. I mean. <laughs> i'm a one-person well, society
2: It's an inside jo- yeah, yeah
0: that's right anyway there's a whole community in your mind oh boy research suggests that while both men and women say they like a quote good sense of humor in a potential mate they differ in what they mean by this phrase women tend to prefer men who make them laugh whereas men tend to prefer women who laugh at their jokes okay they just said that um anyway i'm gonna move on what, okay. what oh wait there's more why is humor sexy funny people are smart and smart is sexy. That's I, a new one. Yeah. Yeah. But OK. So <laughs> I don't I
1: don't know how, I, how I, I I get what they're trying to say. It's just this is they're painting with a really broad brush. Yeah. I and, would say
0: not all funny people are smart necessarily. Right. But a good a good intellect lends itself to witty bantering and that is, se- I find that sexy.
1: Well, wit is sexy. Yeah. I wouldn't argue that wit is sexy. And like, I don't think there's anything as being too witty. Like, I don't think that there's any extreme. Uh, but, you know, th- there is an old saying that, you know, knowledge is power. Right. But then there's also another old saying, which is knowledge is pain. And <laughs> and like, so to say that, that, you know, humor is a sign of intelligence. Well you know, intelligence can also, you know, come with its own. Can, yeah. It can, can also be not very baggage.
0: funny. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I don't know. <laughs> all right. Well, let's move let's on. Let's move on. Being liked is the next sexy thing. This is from Time magazine after all. What do you want? Of course. Me? Being liked. This is, so this is going to be very conventional, very mainstream. Yeah. Um, being liked is sexy. Want to increase someone's interest in you might be worthwhile to make them sure they find to make sure they find out you're interested in them. Uh, from how to make someone fall in love with you in ninety minutes or less—that's a scary title. Holy shit, that's a book, I guess. How to make? (laughs) Yeah, that's like, what are you doing? Casting a love spell or something? Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) that's kind of creepy. Like, what about their their free will and their autonomy?
2: Yeah. Um, Pop up.
0: If you ask people about their experiences of falling in love, over ninety percent will say that a major factor was discovering that the other person liked them. They like me. They really like me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Wow. That's uh that's kind of interesting.
2: So I don't know how I feel what, about what that. I don't
0: like I don't feel like I'm more likely to like someone if they also like me. I feel like when I'm developing a relationship with someone, yeah, it's obvious that we like each other, but it's it's not like I don't like them until I find out that they like me. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, this this feels like it falls under the the basis that like. I, all right. So I think I think the, the baseline is that if you want to go out with somebody, you it's a good idea to be friends with them first.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: And so that would that would just toss that whole notion of finding out somebody likes you, you know, makes it more whatever. Uh, I I feel like the people, you know, it's in their best interest to already be friends. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't agree with that one.
0: All right. So we're zero for two so far. (laughs) What you talk about is sexy. Random conversation with someone you're interested in can be a bad idea. Why? What you talk about can matter a lot. Emotional personal information exchange promotes powerful feelings of connection. Yeah, but you don't want to be too intimate too fast. Like, that's there can be like this false, like, This sense of like when someone's trying to get too close, too fast, it can feel phony. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, and there's boundaries, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean.
0: However, like just asking someone questions about themselves to get to know them and, and sharing information about yourself, too, can help speed up the getting to know you process, right? Yeah. Yeah, certainly. A lot of people love to talk about themselves. Right. Isn't that like a typical tip for like just being well liked in general is like people love to talk about themselves. So ask questions about them and they'll they'll like you.
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, and it's more than that, too, because, I mean, if asking questions about somebody, um, you know, it it a lot. Most people can if, if somebody is like nervous. Okay, Mm -hmm. an easy icebreaker is to ask them questions about themselves because most people can talk about themselves pretty well. Right. Uh, So it doesn't necessarily have to be like a nefarious trick. You know, it could just be a (laughs) way to to just like, you know, just to break the ice.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Here's another interesting little factoid they threw in here. Um, When a woman is attracted to a man, whether his pickup line is good or not doesn't matter at all. One study conducted on college students found that women favored men for a short-term fling if they found the men attractive, regardless of the content of their pickup lines.
1: Wow, isn't that supposed to be the other way around? (laughs) It's like I don't care what the woman says;
0: I'm not listening to her. Yeah, I guess she doesn't care what he says either. Wow. Okay. This is all very conventional too, because it's assuming that the man initiates the conversation, right? Of course. I've always been like, I've always been like, one like if I like somebody, man or woman, I'll tell them.
1: You asked me out.
0: Oh yeah, I told. I like it that way. I <laughs> like to have me. control over yeah. it. Yeah, I'm not going to wait around for someone to say, "Oh, I'm interested in you." I'm going to tell them. Like,
1: yeah, no, you, you. Life
0: is short. Absolutely. Okay?
1: <laughs> you do. You do not mince words. I can say that from personal experience.
0: <laughs> Personality is sexy. Conscientiousness is predictive of a number of very important positive elements in life. Agreeable, conscientious people make better spouses and parents, but disagreeable, non-conscientious people have more sex partners. The former invest in quality, and it seems like the latter make up the difference in, well, volume. Looking to settle down, check if that person has their ducks in a row, is organized, and is easy to get along with. That's marriage material. Oh, how conventional. <laughs> right? Like, like, are you asking for a resume before you decide if someone's marriage material? Yeah, well, this gets into the, like, let's not get too
1: serious too quick. I mean, I... I'm yeah. baffled by uh, this. Just,
0: I'm not liking the, the more I read, the less I like from <laughs> <Yeah. this. laughs> how they make you feel is sexy, which is okay. How about we take some, how about we all take some responsibility for our own feelings, right? Like stop talking about people making you feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. That's really denying a lot of the ownership over your own feelings, which we all have, right? Like I like the saying, I'm responsible for what I say, but you're responsible for what you hear.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I think that's, that's, Solid.
0: So anyway, uh, research shows that we don't really fall in love with a person. What? Research shows that we don't really fall in love with a person. We fall in love with how we feel when we're with them. This is best. What? (laughs) What? This is best demonstrated by the concept of emotional contagion. We're bad at telling us what made it. We're bad at telling what made us feel a certain way, but good about making associations. Feeling excited, stimulated, and aroused is often associated with the people around us, even if they're not the cause. Who did this research? The People's Republic of China? What? This makes, like, not much sense. <laughs> um, this can be taken to the extreme. Having someone try to kill you can actually make you more attracted to them. Okay, this is just fucked uh, up. Oh,
1: all right, all right. Now, now someone's going to say there's a ton of research around this, that sex and violence is like uh, saran wrap on turkey. Okay, like... <laughs> 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 I, I I mean, I'm sure somebody's and, and i I think that's absolute bullshit uh yeah. because what what they are missing in that it's not the violence, it's the display
0: of capability and confidence, okay. And I'm not saying violence. If you say so, I don't know why anyone's doing studies on like, hey, if you try to kill someone, they'll like you more. Right, right. But fucked up. Exactly. My point is is to
1: display capability and confidence does not require you to be violent.
2: No, okay. absolutely not. Uh
1: you know, it, I mean and it's it's a very simple concept, business over bullets. You know, I mean you can be a very shrewd business person and you will show just as much confidence and capability as, you know, a great hunter. Wow. Uh, I mean there's there's no need for violence to somehow be the sexy thing that drives that drives me nuts.
0: <laughs> yeah, I amen, preach it brother. I Woo. completely agree. Um I think oh, non, them non-violence them. <laughs> is sexy. Peacefulness attracts me. Yeah. Anyway, um and this is like I read articles like this from time and I'm like no wonder people think psychology is pseudoscience really. Like this is supposed in the, in the psychology section. Like, from Uh, from supposed psychological studies, this is, like, full (laughs) of bullshit. Chock full of bullshit. Um, Love at first sight is sexy. This is the last one. There's still a lot about love and sex that can't easily be quantified. Oh, here we go. Hmm. Woo, 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 woo. woo. Break out the crystals. Um, (laughs) Studies show that love at first sight is real. Says Time Magazine. Dr. Earl Newman, author of Love at First Sight. So on one hand, they're telling you, make sure someone is organized and has their ducks in a row to see if they're marriage material. On the other hand, they're telling you, oh, yeah, love at first sight. It's totally real. Science. Science. <laughs> Uh, Dr. Earl Newman, author of Love at First Sight, interviewed and surveyed 1,500 individuals of all races, religions, and backgrounds across America and concluded that love at first sight is not a rare experience. What's more, Dr. Newman theorizes that if you believe in love at first sight, there's roughly a 60% chance that it will happen to you.
2: Oh, Oh, all you have to do is
0: think it and it'll be real. Yeah. Uh, As above,
1: so below. All right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nearly two-thirds of the population believes in love at first sight. Two of the believers, more than half have experienced it. I believe... Okay, well, more than half of the population believes in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Does that make him real? (laughs) Of the believers, more than half have experienced it. 55% of those who experienced it married the object of their affection, and three-quarters of those people are still married.
1: My, my. (laughs)
0: I mean, all right. I'm very disappointed in this article. That's it. It's
1: okay. over. Okay, so okay, there are like some actual scientific principles. It's not something you believe uh, that that may contribute to a sense of love at first sight, right? But not uh,
0: really love. Like it's not attraction, really love. It's right? attraction. Yeah, yeah. like
1: there's certain smells that that are compatible between various people. Uh, I mean, and, and all the, again, there's no woo woo here. This is just straight up science.
0: No, it's like some kind of reflector of like your genetic diversity or something between the two partners and if you're going to have babies with healthy immune systems.
1: Right, right. Which creates kind of an evolutionary-based compatibility. Yeah. yeah. And and I mean, but that's not, you know, think it and believe it. That That's...
0: You know, that's science, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's something you can measure, right? <laughs> yeah, I just,
1: I, I don't, oh man, I don't buy this. You know, I mean, you want to talk about what really works. I, I love I remember What the, works?
0: Tell me what, well, what works. Okay,
1: there was the the, the classic, uh, there was a commercial that had Jack Palance. Uh, people might remember Jack Palance. He talked like this and believe it or not, you know, and he <laughs> said, because <laughs> he hosted Ripley's Believe It or Not for a while. But he's, he had this commercial for Cologne, I think it was, and he said, confidence is very sexy, don't you think? And that's the truth. Confidence. That's the sexy thing. That's what you need. Confidence. That can be shown with body language. It can be shown with the way you walk, the way you talk, all of these various things. That's all you need.
0: Yeah, yeah I I agree. I was thinking of um, telling the story about, did we have love at first sight? Like telling when when, I, when we met each other. But I think I'll save that for the after show. Oh, it's going to be a yeah. hell of an after show. All right. <laughs> so Brian Sovereign's tips for making yourself more attractive. Be confident. Yeah, I would say be confident and talk to other people like human beings. Like even if you don't think they're attractive, just talk to people. And then, you know, eventually someone will jump out at you as, ooh, they're cute. Like, I like them. We have chemistry. Fair you enough. only find that out if you actually talk to them. So, there you go. I should probably take my own advice. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hit the after show. All right, show. after Ooh. show coming up where I will tell the story about how about my first sight of Brian and how he was very different than what I was expecting. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: and if you're leaving us now, thanks for joining us here on Sex and Science Hour. Have a great week. We'll be back at you next Friday, sexandsciencehour.com. You've just heard Sex and Science Hour.
2: Game over. Play again next week.
0: it, but we just had like a half hour pause due to technical issues. Yes. So I hope this works. I hope we don't lose the show and have to re-record it.
2: Yeah, but agreed.
0: Anyway. Well, I mean, I'm not
1: I'm not very good with tech.
0: Yeah, I know. You only run a tech podcast. Uh, yeah. You are good with tech, but I'm good with Audacity because I use Audacity <laughs> all day, every day for my job.
1: Yeah. Job, 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 job. Job, job, I was going to say, I mean, the <laughs> studio computer, admittedly, is getting a little long in the tooth. I mean, we had to do it. Pre-
0: what? Well, I'm just saying. We th- just revamped it.
1: Well, I was going to say, yeah, I, I recently upgraded the RAM, put in a new hard drive and all that, but
0: you know. Well, maybe if we get enough money from our stuff.sexandsciencehour.com affiliate link, that's right. We'll be able to afford to replace the studio computer. There, there that we go. That would be very nice. How about that? Right now, we're not quite to our goal. We're like maybe 10% of our goal, but that's all right. We, you know, I, I knew it would take a while to build up. Yeah, But that's okay. um We need to like 10x our Amazon earnings to get where I would really like to be right. with our show. Yes. So keep shopping through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. We should probably make some other Amazon affiliate links because right now we kind of only have U.S. and that's lame. So, we should probably get on that if you're an international listener, um you know, you can still buy some stuff through the amazon u s affiliate link. Um, like there are certain products, I guess. We had a listener from the u k who mm-hmm. had been using the u k link until it broke down. and then uh, but he said he was still able to buy some stuff through the u s link okay. Like, I think, digital products and things like that. So anyway, I promised to tell the story of when I first met Brian. Oh, in person, boy. Okay. And it was it love at first sight? It Be- wasn't quite love at first sight, but it was. he definitely got my attention. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> because before I met Brian, the way we met was I had a podcast, Pork Therapy. Yes. And it was a relationship advice podcast. And Brian sent me in a relationship question. Yes. Okay. And then... A couple of weeks after that, he moved to New Hampshire and he had mentioned in the question that he was going to be coming to New Hampshire. Right. Right. And I said, oh, yeah, like, maybe I'll see you around. I'm in the Free Talk Live studio every Sunday, because at the time I was also hosting another radio show, Free Talk Live, and I was in Keene, New Hampshire, every Sunday night because I was hosting the show. So I said, if you're ever, you know, he said he was coming to Keene, and I said, if you're ever in Keene, you know, stop by, say hello, we can meet each other. And, um, you know, I was just trying to be friendly and welcoming, because, you know, if you move to a brand new place, like it helps to know someone at yeah, least, right? be at least a little one person, wagon. right? Yeah. <laughs> so I was just trying to be, you know, courteous and, and nice. And what a, I didn't have to go out of my way to meet him or anything. And now from Brian's question, like for some, I saw his email address and it was libertarian Jew at com. <laughs> I don't think you use that email address. No, anymore, if you right? try but,
1: emailing it, you're not going to get anywhere.
0: Okay. But that was your email address <laughs> formerly. You're the artist formerly known as Libertarian <laughs> Jew at Gmail. Um,
1: <laughs> I had that for years, by the way.
0: <laughs> and the reason you had that, I think, not was not really because you identified as Jewish, because you were trying to come out of Christianity, right? Yeah.
1: Well, there was a lot of
0: there. There was, there was lot a lot that it. went into yeah. it. I, I think I understand, but it it was a little bit. I didn't understand at the time the well, full p- context of why you would have that email. Yeah. Address. Part of it and,
1: was. I'll just say this quick. Part of it was is that you know like Jews are often identify with the you know uh, Democrats and the left. Which I mean, I was a Democrat when I was oh, actually so you're active. the Libertarian Jew. So I was like, like, okay, well, lone wolf. Right. Right.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: So that 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 was always the, the contrarian. <laughs> exactly
0: that's so you brian it's funny uh okay so anyway i saw this email address and for some reason i just got a picture in my mind of george costanza that's all i could i'm like this guy is like george costanza he's gonna be short he's gonna be a short overweight bald with but with like hair on the edges you know like (laughs) and uh with thick glasses short little jewish man from new york right that was all I knew about you was from you were from New York and you had Libertarian Jew as your email and that's what I pictured. I pictured George Costanza. Now, is that a stereotype? <laughs> was I was I perhaps a little bit biased? Yes, of course. Yeah, I, th- I think it was. Uh, yeah. But anyway, when you said, "Oh, I'll, that sounds nice. I'll stop by the studio sometime when I get to New Hampshire and I'll say hello," and so I was expecting George Costanza to walk through the door. However. <laughs> One night, I'm sitting in the Free Talk Live studio. A few weeks later, and in, in the door walks Brian, and he he did not look like George <laughs> Costanza. He was tall. Six he foot was one. bald, but he didn't have the hair on the sides. Yeah, he didn't have thick glasses. He had nice glasses that looked good on his face. Thank you. And you know, dressed well dressed, and a triple black, of course. Yeah, he, he always wore. For those of you who don't know Brian, he always wears black clothing. All black. Everything everything is a hundred percent black,
1: even the underwear. If if I ever wear it,
0: <laughs> thank you for that detail. Brian. Yeah, I'm sure they it. were dying to know. <laughs> um, but anyway, he was not what I was what I had been picturing, and he was actually good looking. I thought, you know, I was like, oh, he's going to be George Costanza, but who cares, right? Like, I, whatever, someone doesn't have to look like a model for me to be their friend or to be nice right. to them or whatever, and to welcome them to New Hampshire. But yeah, he was actually good looking. And I was like, wow, not only are you not George Costanza, but you're kind of attractive.
1: (laughs) Well, just to add a little bit to that, like, and I don't, and I think you would agree that you were doing this. I mean, because we're sitting like, uh, uh, you know, opposite ends of the studio, but facing each other to some degree. Uh And you were glancing at me all night long. (laughs)
0: Oh, stop it. You were. Oh, stop. No, no, you were. Well, it was just because I was shocked that you and, weren't and George I, Costanza. Uh, I was checking to see if you would turn uh, into George Costanza. It's, that's fine. I'm just saying, you were. <laughs> so was it love at first sight? No, it wasn't, because we didn't fall in love right away. We were friends for a couple time. years before we got together. Yeah. But it was definitely, Um, I, I will say that he definitely wasn't what I expected and definitely caught my attention. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if it's
1: any consolation, I mean, you certainly, uh, you, you,
0: I mean. I caught your attention too. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I mean, I kept it at a
1: friend level and like, like I said earlier in the show, you asked me out, like I did not pursue you in any way. I mean, it was wonderful being your friend. We still are best friends, you yes, know? Yes, that's um, right. Um, yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's the basis, like I said, for, I think any relationship. Um, but, uh, yeah, boy, you, um. Yeah, that's how it all started. <laughs> you thought I looked like George Costanza, and instead I walk in like What was your first uh, like impression of me?
0: Well, you'd seen my pictures of me, so you knew what I looked like already,
1: right? Yeah, but your pictures didn't really do you justice. Like, there was only one picture I saw of you. I don't think we were connected on Facebook, really. Right, no, we weren't. Um, so I didn't have a whole lot of pictures to go by of you. Uh, I mean, when I first saw you, yeah, I mean, well, I, I mean, I'll say it, you're, you know, you're hot. You were. You look great. I mean, you look great. You had like. I mean, you definitely had the whole. Uh, well, this is kind of a trope, and and I and I really respect why people don't like this sort of thing, mm-hmm. and 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 may even find this, uh, this this trope sexist. And that's okay. You know, I accept if if you do. Uh, but I mean, you you really had this whole hot librarian thing going. <sighs> I, I mean, like you had the glasses on at the time and and just you you, you know you are wearing like this kind of long skirt, if I remember correctly uh-huh. uh, I mean it, it yeah you, you look great I, I recall that rather vividly. Oh, you look fantastic. You. Um, that's
0: nice. Well, you can, I mean, you can always think someone's good looking and not have to do anything about it, right? I didn't, I don't think it's creepy that you thought I was attractive. No, no, I
1: think all kinds of people are attractive. Yeah, me but too. That doesn't, yeah. Me too. It
0: doesn't mean I want to fuck them or date them or right. anything else. Just, you know, you can notice when someone's pretty or whatever, right? Yeah, certainly. Cool. Okay. Well, so that's our story. Love at first sight? No. But then again, I think that's dumb, you know, yes. love at first sight. Like, <laughs> Sorry if you're one of the 60% who apparently believes in it, but. um, If you do, you do. Love is based on. You could have attraction at first sight, mutual attraction, for sure. But love is based on getting to know the person. Right. (laughs) So that's why I don't believe in love at first sight because it doesn't fit my definition of love. You couldn't love someone at first sight. What if they're like a Nazi? What if you see this hot stranger and then you get to know them and it turns out that they're like. Really racist or just a horrible person or something,
1: yeah, absolutely, um yeah, I mean you know i my my favorite definition of love is from Robert Heinlein, not that I agree with Heinlein on everything, um, but where he says love is when someone's happiness. Is intertwined. Someone else's happiness is intertwined with your own. Mm -hmm. Uh, I like that one too, and I think that's so spot on. uh, That that, and that's what love is: is when you know you care. You care so much about somebody, and you want someone, somebody else, to be so happy that it becomes intertwined with your own sense of happiness. Uh, You know, it doesn't. You're still an individual, but you know, there's an intertwining. I really like
0: that. Right on. So should we talk about what people got on the stuff? Yeah, the, yeah. Stuff.
1: Death, Maybe we can do a little pick hour.com. if we want. I think people like our picks.
0: Oh, a pick. Yeah, I thought you said a pact. I was like, ooh, what? What oh, pact? What, what pact? What kind of love pact? What kind of love pact are we going to make? That's right. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, we can do our picks. We forgot to do that last time. I yeah, really no realized. problem. realized we promoted it and then we forgot. So, all right, be thinking of something you want to have for your picks. All right, I'll so, think of something. So what did people get from stuff.sexandsciencehour.com this week? Oh boy, I love this voyeuristic moment. So somebody <laughs> watched the movie Deadpool on Amazon Instant Video. Did you see that, Brian? I haven't
1: watched it yet. Um, I was hoping, and I'll say why I haven't watched it. First off, I, well, no, I'm not going to say that, that part. I'm what?
0: Not... You just said you were going to say it. I will say, well, say, I'll it. give
1: one of the reasons, okay. I'm just not going to give the others. All right. Um, but, uh, I'm actually like I I liked I liked Deadpool overall. In fact, um, Uncanny X Force, the the 2011 comic series, when it was Deadpool, Psylocke, Wolverine, Phantom X, and uh, X 23, and all that, like I I think that's the greatest superhero team ever devised. It's just it's awesome. So anyway, uh, I was under the impression that there would be a unrated version of the movie that mm-hmm. would come out. Yep. Um. So I was just like all right, whatever. It's, it's doing plenty of money without me going to go see it. So I'll just wait for this unrated edition to come out. The unrated edition has never come out. Uh, and so I'll just, um, you know, I'll, I have it, I have it. I just, I'll watch it when I get to it, but it's not really anything exciting me a whole lot. And part of the reason it doesn't excite,
0: you know, I really, this isn't always true, but I get annoyed when, when, uh, when everybody's into something, you want to do the opposite. Yeah, well, I know. not that we I just know. want to do the
1: opposite. Real <laughs> quick, I, all right, very quick. Um, I just want to tell this very fast story. Iron Man. Before, you know, before the first Iron Man movie came out in 2000, I don't know, what was that, 2006, 2007, something like that, nobody knew who the fuck Iron Man was. He, at the time, was one of my top Marvel characters. I even had an Iron Man tie, okay, that, I mean... N- you know, I just nobody had any clue who the fuck's Iron Man, you know? Uh, I mean, it was lucky that he was uh, like a character in Captain America. Well, and I still for Genesis. don't have a clue. So. Right. OK, but I always said I said I, I told people when I was in high school, I told people we're talking in the 90s. I said the best Marvel movie that will ever come out is when they do Iron Man, because this is a character with flaws. He gets drunk. You know, he has, he has alcoholism. He has all these problems. And it's going to be really serious. It's going to be a big deal. And then it comes out and not, oh, fucking everybody knows, you know, who Iron Man is, all this stuff. And and the same thing with Deadpool, like Deadpool used to be a kind of a serious character. He wasn't always this, this, this comedian and all this shit. And then the movie comes out and oh, everybody loves fucking Deadpool. And so I just, I get annoyed with not getting really, I guess the recognition that I know what's cool before it's cool, you know? And, 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 and that, that's, that, so I get annoyed. Nobody gives sort of you
0: thing. credit for knowing what's cool before it's cool. That's right.
1: Like I, you know, Star Wars. Everybody loves Star Wars, but Star These Wars existed before no I did. Class so, I can't really and no call it.
0: Do they? They're
1: behind. They're behind. <laughs> I'm. I'm telling you, history is going. You know, take shows like Battlestar Galactica. Take shows like Game of Thrones. Ten years from now, those shows are going to be critically panned those shows are going to they're not going to be darlings anymore. Those shows are going to be remembered as crap if they're even remembered. Um like and 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 I tell people this and they don't they don't believe me. I told people in season 3 of *Star Galactica the show's going to end terribly and it fucking did. Like I I really I get annoyed. I I tell you know I know what I can tell. I I know what not not necessarily what's like popular at the time, but I know what lasts. I have I have a keen sense for things that, that stand the test of time.
2: Oh, do you? I, I okay.
1: do. I'm telling you. All right. I'm done now. Thank you for that rant.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I've i listened to you. All right. And I hear that no one gives you credit no, I for get, your I genius get, predictions.
1: I tell them ahead of time, this is what you want to get into if you want to have a good time, and, and, and nobody listens.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, so somebody watch Deadpool. <laughs> That's about all there is to say about that. Um, somebody got a red cap men's industrial short sleeve work shirt. It's, it's, it's just a regular, it's like a, it's a black. Um, uh-huh. So you would like this um, button down short sleeve shirt with pockets. Um, yeah, not bad. I mean, I would probably wear something like that. Yeah, I would there too. There was a time when I used to dress in really masculine kind of clothing.
1: That's very interesting. I have a hard time imagining that.
0: Oh yeah. And I was all like punk rock too. Like well, I had that's those masculine, right? Well, it was. I mean, it was sort of like a to, I don't know, tomboy kind of style of dressing. Y- like I would wear band t-shirts mm. and pants that weren't form-fitting and like a leather spiked or studded belt.
1: <laughs> I'll tell you, you can rock a short skirt. Like you
2: Thanks. you yeah, have I these can, your you know. legs.
1: Your legs like your your thighs just I mean...
0: Thanks. She squats, bro.
1: Skirts are made for him.
0: (laughs) Um, So, yeah, somebody got that. And there were some other fashion items, but I'm going to save those for last because they're awesome. All right. So that'll be the climax here. Okay. Somebody got a VR headset. They got the the D-Fairy. D-Fairy. Look at D-Fairy over there. (laughs) The D-Fairy Plastic Adjustable FD and PD Function Virtual reality headset, Google Cardboard 2 for video game, movie playing with smartphone, iPhone, Samsung, LG, Moto, HTC, and Bluetooth remote, black. That's great. So this is like, it's, it's like a version of Google Cardboard. Cardboard, cardboard, but it has straps and it looks it very has, professional. Yes, it does. It's made out of plastic instead of cardboard and it has right. a remote attached to it. And it's only fifteen ninety nine. That's fantastic. That's pretty cool. What a great deal. So maybe they were inspired by hearing us talk all about the virtual reality stuff that we've been watching. Maybe.
1: I mean, if they're wearing black and they're into VR, I mean, that sounds very much like a listener of uh, yeah. our show or Sovereign Tech.
0: We did some reviews on, on Sex and Science Hour where we talked about virtual reality stuff that we've seen. Yeah. Somebody got a phone case, the LG G3 case, Spigen Slim Armor Air Cushion Gunmetal. So it's like a gray phone case, fourteen ninety yeah, nine. Yeah, pretty much black. No, it's not black. It's like kind of light gray. Yeah, not really. Um, somebody got a, a screen protector for the same phone. All right. So it's like uh, they're tricking it out. It's one. Of, yeah, they totally are. Got some phone accessories. It's like a silicone piece that you stick over the screen to, mm-hmm. I guess. I don't know. The screen still works, but it protects it. Good. That's good to have because, you know, there's, oh, what is it? It's not Gorilla Glass, but there's some some kind of things that make it so that if you drop your phone and it breaks the screen, it's not going to shatter and fall apart and ruin your phone. Have you seen those?
1: Well, it is kind of, I'm, I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure what. Uh,
0: okay, maybe, maybe I'm just making that up. I don't no, know. I'm,
1: I'm not sure, but that's okay. So, Corning Gorilla Glass is great.
0: Yeah, Gorilla Glass is, is awesome. It's really strong. Yep. Um, how do you know about it? What's your experience with that? With what? Gorilla Glass.
1: Everything has Gorilla Glass now.
0: They should have had Gorilla Glass on that cage where the kid fell in. But they didn't. Uh, I, I, is that a bad pun? <laughs> like that?
2: <laughs> yeah, because the
0: gorilla couldn't break the glass. And the kid couldn't get through the glass, obviously. Uh, uh, I, I mean, Gorilla Glass is breakable. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, maybe yeah. a gorilla could break it. Then it's I... anyway. Somebody got a Data USA Premier Solid State Hard Drive, nice, one hundred and twenty gigabytes for uh, thirty-seven eighty-eight. That's pretty good. It's good price. Yeah, that's pretty good. They have up to nine hundred and sixty gigabytes for two hundred bucks. That's
1: pretty much a terabyte. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I yeah, mean, not that's bad. not bad for a, for a terabyte solid-state hard drive. I might have to get that for uh, for my voiceover files, mm-hmm. considering all the problems we have with Audacity crashing tonight. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, oh, we already talked about that one last week. So now on to the clothing. This is the climax of all the Amazon right. stuff. Somebody got a women's stretchy tunic tur- turtleneck top. So Ooh. it's like a, a turtleneck shirt. The neck kind of folds over. And it's long; it comes down to like the hips, so it comes like it meets probably like halfway down the butt, and it's it's very nice because it can show off like a beautiful curvy shape. What color is it? Black, <laughs> of, course, of course. Of course. Damn right. Um, yeah, I might want one of these. Wow, hot. Pretty looks cool. good. Yeah, it definitely looks good on the um in the picture. Yeah. And I wonder if this is to go under the top. Somebody got a corset. This
1: is quite the. I'm curious what you think about this, Stephanie, because yeah? I am seeing a lot of like my friends uh, saying that they they want to do waist training. Um, you know, by, yeah, waist. So
0: waist training is when you have a corset to shape your figure, I guess, yeah. to try to make stuff shift around, like whether fat or your organs or whatever, and get give a, a, a yourself get an a hourglass. More hourglass shape. Now, hourglass shape is more. Is that is scientifically proven to make people appear more attractive? Absolutely. there's like a the golden waist hip ratio that we've talked about on the show before, yeah, um however, I you know, I don't know if it works. Do you have to wear it all the time? Is it uncomfortable? Can you breathe like that would be my main concern, uh, right? yeah, as
1: I understand, it does work very well. um mm-hmm. I can think of a few people off the top of my head that that the results show uh-huh uh But I I don't. uh, Yeah, I I guess like, I mean, how do you I mean, people people have the right to look how they want to look. Right. I mean,
0: yeah. Modify your body any any way you want. Um, Yeah. I it's not something I would personally want to do because I like breathing. Hmm. But, um, you know, go ahead. Like some people really love to have that that shapely figure, and not everybody is born with it naturally. I would say that, yeah, probably my waist-hip ratio could be a little smaller, I, you know, if I had my druthers, but I'm not motivated enough to try wearing a corset all the time, especially because most of the time I work in my pajamas, and I have to be able to take deep breaths for my job. Well, I was going to
1: say, with voice work, I don't think they would fly.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, just like I wouldn't want to get braces because it would fuck up my speech, right? which I use all the time, I wouldn't want something that would could possibly interfere with my breathing right but if it's not uncomfortable for you or you know maybe it doesn't have a goal or if you have a goal and you're willing to take the discomfort then yeah knock yourself out i mean if you're if you're listening whoever bought this and you want to give us an update on your waist training or send us pictures if you want that's totally cool with us show at sex and science hour.com um the this thing you know now sometimes they they give like huge markdowns just to make it look like you're getting a good deal when the markdown is actually the real price but this says it was a $120 piece but it's on sale for $30
1: nice
0: yeah so good that's job. like a big big savings so all right Oh, and now it looks like Amazon has a little thing that says like how it fits, like with their clothing items. Yes, where people can rate: does it fit as like true to size? I guess.
1: Yeah, like does it fit within the realm of XL, Mm. L, and all that stuff?
0: They're going to put brick and mortar clothing stores out of business. I mean, well, they're going to open their own. I haven't gone to a try on clothes at a store for so long.
1: Yeah, I mean, but I agree, they're going to put them out of business, but they're going to do so by opening their own. Yeah, that's what's going to happen.
0: Oh. Yeah, I mean, especially for shoes, like there's something to be said for trying them on and making sure they fit.
1: Yep, absolutely. I always, more more times than not, when I get shoes off of Amazon, I have to return them and get another size.
2: Mm-hmm,
0: yeah, mm-hmm. You know, the worst for sizing is Victoria's Secret, I have to say. Because sometimes I'll buy stuff from their semi-annual sale. I'm like,
2: ooh, look at that clothing. Ooh, look at that bra. Look at those little
0: undies. <laughs> They're so cute. And I buy stuff. And especially the clothing they get it from all different manufacturers there's all different brands and it i never order the right size just never like (laughs) i have a bunch of clothes that i i just haven't returned because i'm like well maybe i'll fit into this eventually or something (laughs) (laughs) it's just not been right don't they have like
1: a limit what's the lar i forget what it is what's the largest like bra size that they offer is it double
0: oh they do have a limit yeah um
1: like double d i
0: want to say it Yeah, I want to say it's Double D. Yeah. They don't have anything above a Double D cup, which a lot of people complain about.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've, yeah, in the
0: past I've heard... But, I mean, like, maybe they're they're just like, well, they're doing the Captain Picard thing. They're like, the line must be drawn here! This far! No further! No further! And I will make them pay for what they've done. (laughs) All
1: right, we did it again. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) Moving on.
0: Oh, yeah, um... (laughs) (laughs) No, I was going to say, like, maybe they're just sort of like, that's not their specialty. Their specialty is A through double D and nothing else. Like, if they want, you know, for larger breasts, they're going to let somebody else handle it. And, you know, yeah, but to there's... be fair, like, you you probably do need different types of engineering with bras to hold up breasts that are larger yes. and weightier. Yes. You know, like, but it is a shame, though, because, like, there's a lot of women who complain, like, hey, I have large breasts and I just can't find sexy bras. Like, and that's totally true. Like, a lot of the bras that are made for larger sizes, they're just not sexy. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, like, very grandma looking. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they're not... They're not lacy. They're not frilly. They're not like strappy. They're like thick, utilitarian straps and like big, thick pa- cups and yeah. not not sexy colors and boring colors. So, yeah, I mean, like, I'm sure there's now lingerie companies that are catering to women who want sexy bras in larger sizes. Yeah. I'm I, sure there are. I just don't know them because I'd never have had breasts that are that big that I had to go there. So,
1: yeah, I, I think in the past it's been a very underserved, abundant market um, but <laughs> what get it abundant? abundant underserved but
0: abundant oh under like an underwire no
1: no that's all right we'll move on
0: but my point i it, I'm so I, puzzling I was over that yeah, that's all right i was I actually being it. see what i
1: mean sometimes only i get my jokes you're going to have to explain that to me but i'm just saying that that it is it has been it is a a, a a part of the population that really has not been, uh, addressed, uh, and marketed to, or, you mm-hmm. know, uh, served very well. Yeah, Bottom for line.
0: sure. Yeah. So, okay. Well, let us know how your waist training goes. Good luck with the, uh, or if you're using it for waist training, maybe they're, you're just using it as part of a costume. Who knows? Maybe you're, maybe you're a man. Who knows? <laughs> like, <laughs> I got caught with my pants down because I, um, I actually assumed, and when you assume, you make an ass out of you and me. Mm-hmm. I assumed that the listener who bought the pink iPhone case last week was a girl. And I don't know, we didn't know exactly who it was, but a guy posted uh, on our show, he commented on our show somewhere, saying that I'm a guy and I love the color pink and I have the same iPhone case and it's pink. <laughs> So who you you shouldn't stereotype it. It could have been a guy that bought that. He said it wasn't him, but it could have been a guy. Yeah. I, I'm, and he had
1: the same one. I agree. I, I Actually, I love the color pink. Uh, in fact, I love that song er- by Aerosmith called Pink. That's a, <laughs> that's a good time. Uh, but yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah right. Yeah. Don't stereotype. Uh, another inside joke here. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, <laughs> I have a couple of corsets. Um, I don't wear them too often. One of them is really old. Got it at Victoria's Secret when I was in high school. (laughs) Uh, Another one is newer, but haven't brought it out of the closet in a while. Maybe we should dig it out. Sure. Sounds good to me. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we wrap up the show so we can go do that? Yes. <laughs> if you want to be on our after show, go to uh, stuff.sexandsciencehour.com and go shopping on Amazon. And we thank you so much for that. we we'll also thank you f- to the people who have sent us Bitcoin donations. We really appreciate that. We have a Bitcoin tip address in every show. We also have a PayPal uh, donate button on our website in case you want to send us a PayPal donation. Yeah. Which all of that we really appreciate. And thank you so much. Eventually, we're going to go on location and we're going to go to not conferences, maybe at first, but like we're going to go on retreats to do sex and science hour. Yes. And we need to make money on it in order to do that. Yeah. (laughs) And it's going to be great. So anyway, um, thank you so much for listening and thank you for shopping through our after show link. And even if you didn't shop through our after show link, thank you for listening to our after show. If you made it this far. Thank you for just being you. We don't take enough time to appreciate our listeners just for being who they are.
1: You Just are appreciated. A moment
0: of silence. Thank you so much. <laughs> this has been Sex and Science Hour. We'll be back at you next Friday. Our website is sexandsciencehour.com. And our Twitter is... At, S- at Sex at- Science yeah. Hour. Yeah. <laughs> at-, at Sex Science Hour. That's right. All right. Talk to you later. <laughs> that was anticlimactic. Have a great week, everybody. <gasps> Thanks for listening.